Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Back by popular demand. Because our moms say we need to post more episodes. They've missed hearing from their little boys. Hey, Rick I, and Nick Talk Flicks. Hey, I think that's the voice from the intro no, not. to the show. No? No. no? no. Okay, we're so low budget that we have to do our own intro. We really do. Rick and Nick didn't leave us a whole lot in the coffers to be able to actually use for production value. So, although I'll give you this, Dave, you've done pretty well in terms of the production value over the <laughs> 70 plus episodes that we've done of this thing. You like the cheesy, like porn music, intro music, 70s, <laughs> wicka wicka chow chow. Do you think that that has aged well over the course of Rick and Nick Talk Flicks? It's intentional. I want you to think of like that thin John Walters porn mustache, oh faux Lord. leather jacket, you know. It's like a you're driving a VW Bug that you've turned into a convertible thinking it makes you cool. If I had known that was where your mindset <laughs> was when you made the intro, I think we would have talked about this a little bit more. No, no. I was going for more more cheesy. Yes. Besides, at that point, Rick and Nick were going to do the show. I was just helping make an intro to a show I was maybe going to appear on once or three times. And uh, here we are, what, 70 episodes in, and I am the host with the hoove. And you still have the voice intact as well. When I want to fake it, yeah. Rick and Nick, meanwhile, remain bunkered away somewhere. I don't know. I think they're planning their next film project. They've been planning it for months, though, and underground. They've had time. That's like those kids that you'd go to school with, and man, we've got the just wrote the screenplay, man. We're gonna film it this summer, man. We and they never film it. Now it's their senior year of college, and they're yeah, we're still gonna do it, man. Yeah, right. Not happening. But talking about that's in seventh grade. Yeah, that's give right. it up. All right. Well, welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. As always, we appreciate you listening to us, whether it's through Podcast One or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you subscribing if you do, or listening through uh, one of the various websites here at Paul Bunyan Broadcasting. Uh, my name is Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks, and we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. Indeed. We love those guys. They're going through some tough times, though, with this pandemic. Their doors are open, but clearly as America is showing a lot of folks not ready to go back to movie theaters right now, and that's a hard thing. So what can you do? And I'm in that group, too. So what can you do to help support Bemidji Theater or whatever your local theater, because we do have people listening to us online, the snack bar. Go to the snack bar. Yes. Get something at the snack bar. For every movie ticket you buy, depending on the theater, $1 of every ticket, maybe, you know, 10%, whatever the adjustment is, goes to the theater. The rest of it goes back to Hollywood for a more common term. But the snack bar, that's why a bag of M&Ms is, you know, $7, because that's how the theater makes their money. So if you're going to have movie night at your house, swing by the movie theater. Get that real, authentic popcorn. The Bemidji Theater's got a really good deal. They got this bucket, like an ice cream size bucket, mm-hmm. $20. And it's a real cheap fill-up. And they'll do this through 2021. So for the rest of this year and all of next year, and maybe even that'll change and get extended, you get a big mound of popcorn, good drinks, good candy, bring it home. 
You help them out at the snack bar, you help out your local theaters, even if you're not buying tickets. I've got a bucket sitting on my counter in my apartment that I have for that purpose. Yep. I've gotten to go to the theater a couple of times to go see movies here in the last few months um, since the return of of movies uh, at the Bemidji Theater. But yeah, having that bucket, very convenient. If you don't feel like you want to go to, to movies right now, if you don't feel comfortable with that, you can go fill that baby up. Bring it on back with you. You can watch movies from home, but still be able to support the Bemidji Theater located on Highway 2, just out from the airport. I forget what the refill cost is, like three bucks or something, but that's a mountain of popcorn that, unless you are really hungry, you're probably not going to get through in the movie theater. It's a great deal. I mean, oh, very good deal. You're paying up front for the bucket and for that initial bucket of popcorn, but each subsequent bucket that you get for the refill is a great deal. And that's what's really going to help your theaters and help get them through this. So anything you can do to help local economy and local businesses and local theaters, um, do that. Not movie tickets necessarily, but the snack bar at the movie theater is going to go a lot longer than buying a ticket. I'm just going to buy a ticket to this movie. I'm not really going to go. I just want to help you out. No, that's not helping them. Go inside, get a snack, and then leave. If that's what you're going to do. In in the news right now, Dave, we've we've had a couple of weeks off with the podcast, but in the news, I think it is safe to say the movie industry is going back into the deep freeze, yeah. and that is unfortunate to say, but it appears that that is going to be the case. A lot of movies are backing out of 2020 and retreating into 2021. Um, no time to die. Once again, the new the new James Bond movie is among them. Um, it's kicking its way on back to April of 2021, which makes it a full year from when it was going to be originally slated to be released. Um, they are all moving backward into 2021, or at least the the vast majority are moving backward into 2021 and just sliding back. As the response to the movies that have been released to this point has been. Tepid at best. Um, I think globally, some of these movies, especially Tenet, has done well globally. But they're looking also at the domestic side, especially here in North America, and saying it's time to move it on back. It's, It's time to try to slide it back for us to be able to get the kind of business that we want to be able to see uh, during the in a non pandemic time. And they're just not seeing the kind of return that that would warrant a release right now i think think it's obvious people just are not going you know it's not that tenant isn't doing well at the box office it's that it's getting good reviews people that are seeing it are saying it's really good there's a lot of people that want to see it or anything that christopher nolan does but are you going to roll that dice uh just you and i alone as a microcosm you know my life status I'm not going to roll that dice. I'm just not there yet. Your life status is a little different in that it, you know, I could, yeah, I could do that. I don't have a wife or a kid, and you could do that, and I do, and I'm not going to. And I'm not going to look down my nose at those that are doing, you idiot, why are you going to a theater? That's your dice to roll. I, my dice to roll says no. And, and you can still take precaution when you go. Yeah. You can still be smart. You don't have to be, you don't, you don't have to be brazen with yeah. how you go into a situation like that. Exactly. If you're yeah. going to try to go, if you go to the theater and it's packed, I would turn around and go back to the, can I exchange this for a different, less crowded showing? I don't want to go to this one, but I'll, can I do it tomorrow? Can we do that? You know, I'm sure they would probably work with you, something. Um, no, I can't, but if you come in tomorrow with this ticket, maybe I'll just let you buy, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, if small town theaters, that can happen, who knows? But uh, it's one of those situations where 
uh, people just aren't ready to go, clearly. And you don't want to release a James Bond movie when you know nobody's going to go and they don't want to put it on the small screen right yet. It's going to get its debut on the big screen whenever that is. And so people talking, so what's the latest on the release slate? My answer is I don't care because I don't think it matters because it's like Teflon. Everything is sliding off of it. Right now, I don't think they've moved it yet, but Wonder Woman 1984 I think is still scheduled for on Christmas, but it doesn't matter. Don't even look it up. They're going to move it. They will, and they're going to move it into sometime next Maybe they'll move it to next summer. Which I'm is, still going to look just out of curiosity. All right. So it might be, I think it was July or June of 2020 that it was supposed to come out. Maybe it'll push to 2021, same rough time period like James Bond did. Right now, the release slate, that's a nice, fun thing to do. That's real cute. Pat them on the head and let them move on because it doesn't matter. When there's a vaccine and when this legitimately starts to pull into the garage and the pandemic is starting to bundle itself up into the annals of history, then... A release slate might be something I'll look into with some degree of, okay, I'm going to mark this on my calendar because it probably will come out then. But in the middle of this right now, we don't know how or when it's going to end. It will, but when will that be? Right now, it's December 25th right now that that it's scheduled for a release, but it's been kicked back several times. I would not put money on that holding its date. I hate to say it. I mean, but and the other thing right now is a lot of theater chains are starting to shut down. And I don't yes. mean like close forever, like declaring bankruptcy. I mean, they're shutting down the theaters. Why are we heating this place? Why are we paying people to be there for people not coming in? They're shutting the doors until dot, dot, dot. And there will be an end to that. And they will reopen. Um, we've also talked about the possibility that some of those theater chains might have long-term financial problems that could result in bankruptcy. It could happen, especially the smaller ones. Yeah, what you're referencing is the news that Regal is going to be shutting things down. And AMC, I think, too, yeah. In AMC as well. Too. Yeah, I had heard about Regal, and there had been some initial concern that maybe, maybe they were really shutting things down. But it appears to be temporary at this point, and yet... I just I just saw even looking up for Wonder Woman 1984 a headline Patty Jenkins the director of Wonder Woman 1984 warning that theater shutdowns this this might not be very good in the long long term for for movies on the big screen she even called it something that that may not be reversible moving forward now that's that's looking ahead that's somewhat speculative but that's also a concern is what what is all of this going to mean in the long term for movie viewing as we know it what is this pandemic truly going to have an impact what how far reaching is the impact going to be on the movie industry if this if we go back into the deep freeze again of of movies not being able to release on the big screen that are new ones what is that going to do moving forward you and i have discussed that topic a couple of times over here in the last few months because it is a legitimate and genuine concern that is coming up is what is this going to do for the big screen portion of the film industry? You know, I think ultimately, whether it's theaters or any industry, any product, if Americans want it, if the public wants it, they're going to go get it. End of story. And I think there's other contingencies that you haven't thought about. Everyone's being cooped up, you know, those that are cooping up. When it's finally good and safe to get out, people are going to bust out, you know, because they can and they can do so freely. I like those communal experiences when you're going to the theater and, oh, something scares you all together. <laughs> something makes you laugh together. And it's not just you, it's 500 Remember other when people. people used to clap at big moments in movies, yeah. Dave? I miss that. I mean, everything is at home now. Every meal is at home. I haven't been uh, to a restaurant to eat since March. And that's, you know, that's seven months ago. 
You know, I like going out to eat. I do. When this pandemic is over, I might spend the first week every night going out to eat somewhere, much to my wife's chagrin. But, you know. Yeah, careful there. I want to do that. I want to I, I want to bust out and do the things I wanted to do, maybe try things I'd never done before, and just be out and see people, and it'll be good and safe and okay to do so without any risk, theaters included. But if some people are like, you know what, I like just streaming things on my phone. I like this over that then that's the way that things generally will trend to. And if theaters, I don't think it's going to happen, that theaters are going to die out. I think, if anything, uh, there will be some adjustments made. And I don't think that's a theater thing. I think that's just the way people are consuming media in all forms. Even MP3s for music almost are harder to come by. Everyone's streaming everything now, and that's great. But I like control. I like my say in what I'm going to hear and what's next. I don't mind having it on shuffle. I can still do that with my iPod. And yes, I still listen to an iPod Touch in the year 2020. I like that control. And I like having DVDs at the house. Because the movie I want to watch tonight, I I just watched The Shining last night. The Shining, to my knowledge, isn't streaming anywhere. I don't want to flip around and hope that tonight's the night it shows up on AMC Fear Fest. I want to watch it tonight. Yeah. I can do that yep. because I have that power. I'm not ready to surrender that yet. And I love going to the theater, especially in the summertime when the summer box office movies are the big ones that come out around Christmas time. And I want to be there, especially opening night. That, for me, is something that I look forward to. And I'd love to pass that down to my kiddo. That's me. And other people might just be fine sitting on a toilet looking at their iPhone. You know, that's you consume it the way you want to, but that's not what I call a great Thursday night showing. You know? No, there are sometimes where there are sometimes where the customer is not completely right. Yeah. I think that's fair to say, isn't it? And I think this is one of them where it may not be necessarily what's best for the consumer is is getting ease of access in that way even if it is what they want sometimes it's not always the best thing like you said you lose that experience that that social experience of going to the theater there is something that gets lost don't surrender your not being able to go that's right that's right you want to you want to you want to have control over what you're going to see then do that already enough people downloaded mulan on disney plus that not only are you going to pay a subscription fee, you're going to pay the premium fee of the new content because people did it. And enough people did it that they made money. So guess what? It's going to happen again and again and again. And not just Disney+. Plus, It'll become the new norm because people decided, well, I really want to see this movie. I want to see it right now. So the market supported it. So guess what's going to happen? A lot of people are kind of norked about that because it will become the new trend uh, unless people revolt. You know, I'd love to see this and that. I downloaded the the Bill and Ted. I thought it was awesome, but that's how you're going to see it right now. I didn't have to subscribe and then pay. Yeah, I just paid a one time fee to see the one movie that I would have probably done something similar in the theater anyway. It was awesome. I thought it was a great movie. I loved it. Are you ready to change gears? Get I'm into our to topic today. Hey, one thing we should probably mention real quick: spoiler alerts. Sometimes we talk topics that we're just going to outright freely shoot from the hip and gunsling it, and it might talk about the ending of a movie, and so spoilers may lie ahead. So you are for now warned that you're wading into a, a minefield of potential spoilers that without any further notice from this moment right now, poof, oh, the boat sank, oh. So forewarned, spoilers really? lie ahead. It's a piece of history. I mean, come on. I pulled that joke. You, it was a great movie, but the boat sank in the end. Man, why did you... T- you didn't know? Really, you didn't know the Titanic was going to sink? Shut up. 
It's what happens around that that's the the what's going to happen here. Well, then again, that. you know, there's Inglorious Bastards. Hitler didn't get shot in a theater, did he? I knew a lot of people that had to get, come out of that theater and look it up. They just, really? I didn't remember he died that way because he didn't. You, you have got to be kidding no. me. No. <laughs> there are oh some people gosh. that are not students of history. Wow. But some things like the Titanic sunk. It's become more than just history. It's become its own analogy. Oh, that's the that's the Titanic right there in a in a you know comparative statement. You must understand the context. Well, the, the boat sank, and it was never going to sink. It was unsinkable, but it sank. Oh, I get the metaphor now. You know. Anyway, moving on. Well, today we are are talking about the aging of movies, the passage of time, so to speak, when it comes to movies. How do some weather that storm better than others? Yes, because some do weather that storm better than others, and we're. We're going to address this across a variety of spectrums. We're going to talk about it in terms of how the movie was made, what time period is reflected with the movie, and does that hold up for some of those 80s movies and 70s movies? Not so well. For other movies, they actually seem to stand apart from time extremely well. What about with CGI, too? What about some social-related issues? Things like that. So we want to cover a wide swath of this because if you look up movies that haven't aged well, they th- what you find in terms of what has been written on the internet will often focus in on socially-related elements of the movie. Um, and And sometimes it can get really... Really sad in a way, too, with how some of these movies haven't aged well in that regard. But we wanted to look at it on a wide spectrum of different ways that the movies haven't or sometimes have aged really well. Here's one, Dave, that that comes to mind as far as a movie that, from a visual standpoint, even though it was made now over 25 years ago, um, it just had its 25th anniversary, um, it, it still looks spectacular now. And looks as as cool and as innovative as it did when it came out, and that's and I saw it in theaters this summer for the first time too when they had older movies that were coming back in theaters again, and that's Jurassic Park, which has CGI that remains just dazzlingly good looking. I mean, it, it's it's so good, and the movie on the whole remains extremely entertaining. It is still a terrific popcorn flick. I just watched it with a friend who had never seen it before. And that was a great moment too. Get that that seeing seeing this buddy of mine get to experience this for the first time. And we talked about that afterward. How this movie has has really stood the test of time on a visual standpoint, which is hard to do when you're a 1990s movie CGI wise. Um, there are other examples that run to the contrary, but this one, the visuals are just stunning. They remain terrific. But it's also, a good is good. It just is. When yes. you get Spielberg at his best, who knows how to use the tools in his tool case, you, CGI was really new. And tool this case? Was, oh, yeah. <laughs> Toolbox? Toolbox. <laughs> tool case, whatever. If, you know, my bag of stuff. Yep. He knows how to do it. And he does it right. And he had a lot of help from George Lucas in post-production. In fact, it yes. was Jurassic Park special effects that encouraged Spielberg to give, or uh, Lucas to get back into Star Wars. Hey, I could probably go back and do a job of the hut scene in the original, so on and so forth. But it did it right. And not only that, yes, there's CGI, but yes, there's a lot of footage that is not CGI. Some of those they built for real. The T-Rex, the Raptors, 
those for a lot of those scenes are legitimate on screen in camera no trickery maybe covering up some wires or legs or something but generally it was real and then there are scenes where well those giant 29 foot tall dinosaurs those had to have been cgi for some cases yes but they did it right and they did it in such a way that it didn't look like some hokey video game effect that now 25 years later it looks as impressive now as it did 25 years ago then you look at the the crash at the end of air force one it looks like a bad video game from the nintendo 64 era it looked bad then it looks worse now And it's not a bad movie, but it kind of pulls you out of the movie when you see a very unspectacular moment at the climax of the movie when Air Force One crashes. It looked like a bad late 80s CGI effect. It was bad. It it feels a little bit with CGI like we're kind of revisiting when we talked about CGI. We had an episode that that discussed this a little bit more in detail because we, we talked about how you can use it really well. And you can also use it very poorly. It's a tool. And you've got to be effective with how you utilize it. And some movies have been very cheap in their utilization of CGI to the point where all realism gets lost. And especially when CGI was starting to become more of a commonplace tool, that's where you got that wide range that was starting to come up where people didn't know how to utilize it well in post-production. People didn't know or people didn't know how to utilize it in production uh, when it came to a movie. I've got a good example that I pulled up that just looks horrible now, and it's The Matrix Reloaded when Neo is fighting the Smiths in that courtyard scene, and he just is kind of twirling around in that scene, and he goes from looking real and being being who he really was to, am I watching a computer game right now? And the Smiths are kind of clamoring on him like these these computer-generated zombies with the way that they looked. And it just... Technically, he's in the Matrix. It is computer-generated. Well, it (laughs) is. It is. But from a visual movie standpoint, there was no realism to it in in consistency with the way that the rest of the movie What do they call it? They call it the the hurly-burly scene, I think they call that. Really? It's got a name to it, yeah. It's, It's... it didn't impress me that much when I saw it when it was new, and I I'm not as big into the sequels as I am the original. The original's fantastic. They're filming a fourth one right now. Um, I'd be interested to see what they're going to do. But uh, Morpheus is not back. There is no Lawrence Fishburne. Okay. So anyway, it was a it was just it was cartoonish with the CGI that yeah that came up there in that movie. And and again, that's proof that even a movie like that, which Less than 20 years ago was when they, they came with Reloaded and Revolutions. Even a movie like that, only on that kind of time frame, can still age really badly in a short period of time. I mean, it looked poor then as well. Like you were saying earlier, Dave, with Air Force One, it looked poor then. It looks worse now, given the advancements that we've had in movie-related technology. Heck, I mean, look at what... Look at what they were able to do with the planet, the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the new one that that had come out, and how unbelievably good that CGI was. You match it up against that, it's night and day. You know, and even beyond that, there's poor uses of things when you could have done better, and then there's cutting edge. What is cutting edge at the time, which is no longer cutting edge. I'll give you an example. One of my favorite sci-fi movies from when I was younger is a space movie called uh, The Last Starfighter. And all the ships in this movie are CGI. Now, this movie came out in 1984, I think. What was CGI in 1984? It was pretty much a new concept. 
And I think this is the first example where you had fully rendered major set pieces like that on that level made in a movie at all. Prior to that, everything was some kind of a ship on a wire or on a pole or whatever, and it was never to that level CGI. So even then, you could look at these ships, and I kind of use the term out of phase. You could tell that it's nice and it's impressive looking, but it looks out of phase with everything else, you know, because everything else is actually there. It's an actual person in an actual wardrobe on an actual set. And then there are these things that are in the set that you can tell clearly aren't interacting with the set in a natural way because they're not really there. They're CGI'd. And can you look through that? Can you look past it and just enjoy it for what it is and appreciate that this was what Cutting Edge was in 1984, which now in 2020, it looks very dated. So that's where the whole aging movies comes in. Can you watch it? Can you enjoy it, realizing that this is not up to today's standards, but it doesn't matter? Can you watch The Last Starfighter today and just enjoy it and just almost write that off? It looks so fake. So does the shark in Jaws, but you know what? Everything else around it works so well that you kind of write that off. And in a way, the fact that it is something that doesn't stand out as one of the greatest achievements, it doesn't matter. It's part of the charm of it in a way. We, That's the aging what we're really talking about. We're getting onto a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but it is a good one to go on, Dave, because it speaks to the idea of how do you watch a movie? Because some people, I think, watch a movie and they want to start nitpicking things right away. They want to start picking out, I don't like this, I don't like that, or what, I can't get behind that. Rather than, are you watching a movie and allowing yourself to step into the movie? Are you allowing yourself to step into the plot as it's playing out and just to to kind of experience that and then after the movie go... Okay, I liked this. I didn't like this quite as much, but allowing yourself your mind to be suspended within the story for a little bit because I think sometimes people are automatically looking to be a critic watching a movie rather than saying, "Let me watch this from an entertainment standpoint and see how it stacks up and begin with that first. Here's another example along those lines and from a visual standpoint. Movies from the 50s and 60s that started to utilize more green screen capabilities and techniques. You watch those, Dave, and you can tell those moments where there, there's a cut in within a scene from a shot where the characters are are kind of in, in full flow in, in the setting that they are in. And then you you get a sense, you realize that there's a little bit of green screen being used then when it cuts to another shot that happens. Um, there, there are many, many examples of this where you can kind of tell, oh, they just went from being at whatever the place is to now they've got, now they filmed this in a green screen setting, mostly for, for dialogue. It's often when there's some dialogue that's being used where, where you see the background looks a little bit different compared to in the foreground, like the James Bond movies. There are many examples Rear of projection, that. projection, yeah. Yeah, where the projection changes within that. Plenty of examples of that, but especially so that they could have the dialogue be clean, too. Like, I remember at the end of From Russia with Love, you could clearly tell there at the end that, that Bond and um, and Tanya, they are sitting together in the boat, but it's but it's a green screen. You know, the background has, has changed and seems very distant, and then they're in the foreground, and it allows them to be able to talk and have the dialogue controlled. So... Another example right there where visually that hasn't aged super well with 
with how it looks now and and how inconsistent that is. But you've got to keep in mind film technique of the time. And are you just trying to watch the movie or are you thinking too hard about that? Well, one of the things that you got brought up, Bond, I like the fact that each Bond movie, and I mean every one of them, is almost a snapshot of the time. You know, <laughs> I was going to get into this later. So yep, Dr. No, Dr. No, which is the first official Bond movie, came out in 1962. It was the first one with Sean Connery. Um, they didn't have the formula down yet, but it is a product of its time. And that's that's something that, that people look at and go, boy, that one has not aged super well because of that, because they didn't have the formula down. Well, I think that makes it its its own really unique entry. I, I love Dr. No. That's one of my absolute favorite movies and favorite Bond movies because of that fact. Like you said, it's it's what started it all. It's what got so many of the different tropes underway, even though was Dr. No not really a strong villain? Yeah, not really. He was kind of distant within it, but... But they established a lot within that movie. But, you know, then you go look at, say, uh, Live and Let Die with Roger Moore, 1974, 72, maybe? I believe that, yeah. Somewhere there, so 10 years later. Looks just as dated today. I think if you look at some of the Pierce Brosnan movies, some of those are looking pretty dated, and they look very cutting edge at the time. And you could take a look at, say, Spectre, which is, at this moment, the most recent Bond movie that's been out, and it... It looks great because it's only a few years old. Let's let 20 years pass and look at it. How current does it look then? You know, at some point... We'll die another day, speaking of bad visual yeah, effects. But, really bad. Yeah, they were trying to do something with Bond that it, it, did, it went in a direction it shouldn't have gone, and they fixed that when they did Casino Royale, which is the first story. But they're all products of their time. And I think we'll get into this a little bit more, but something else that you were just so close to was black and white. There's a lot of people that just don't want to watch a black and white movie automatically because it is old. I was just talking with one of our colleagues, Scott, and we are talking about horror movies because it's Halloween time right now and some of the best horror sequels. And the article he was reading cited Bride of Frankenstein, which came out in 1940, maybe? I have to look it up. I'm not sure. Uh, as the best horror sequel ever. And I said, well, what would you think of that movie? He said, I never saw it. I, didn't really, I don't really want to. I have a hard time watching those old movies. And I get it. Therefore, at some point, that might even change within a person. There were times I didn't want to watch black and white movies, and I find a lot to enjoy in them. You know, some of the times that it's they yes. captured something that we just don't capture anymore. That was the way they captured it then. The way things movies have changed. Would I say Bride of Frankenstein is the best horror sequel ever? I've seen it. It's good, but I don't. I'd give Aliens that title myself personally. Um, but that is. Will people watch a movie like that because black and white ages poorly? There's a one that I haven't seen yet, but I'm about ready to watch it. It's an old Alfred Hitchcock. One of his early ones came out in the late 40s, 48, I think, called Rope. And it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's in color. It's James Stewart, but it's almost like a Broadway show filmed almost as if the actors are moving on the stage and the camera isn't, any, isn't doing dynamic filming. It's like filming a school musical. You know, you're not talking about an interesting dynamic and camera movement, and it's not technical. It's just shooting the action as it plays out almost on a literal stage. And that's the way it was. This is 1948. Movies at this point had only really been around in their kind of any form for 20, 25 years at that point. They were just getting started. You know, if they'd made rope today, oh, it'd be zooms and pans and dissolves and interesting camera dynamics and, you know, it'd be visually interesting. This movie is not visually interesting. It's all about the story. It's all about the characters. It's Jamie Stewart 
And that alone will turn people off because it's not the way they make movies. Eh, it looks old. And that right there eats up any value. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we are continuing to talk about the aging of movies. Some that have done so gracefully, others that have not done so well when it comes to the passage of time today. And a wide variety of subjects within that topic. Well, let me give you a, another a good example here real quick. We'll, let's just do uh, this is the one I gave you when we were talking about the the let's do this episode Hannibal Lecter movies you know they're based on books by Richard Harris and the first book was Red Dragon which they made originally in 1987 I think it was but they called it Manhunter now they did remake it and they did have Anthony Hopkins come back as a prequel to the Silence of the Lambs which is the sequel but the original one Manhunter came out in 1988 I think what it was here 86. 86. Okay. You've got a very good cast, and Michael Mann, who was at that time very well known for Miami Vice, he was in the heyday of Miami Vice, did the movie. Well, if you know Michael Mann, he has a very visual style. It's a lot of pastels, it's a lot of neon, and it was a product of its time in the 80s. Enough to the point that when you watch Manhunter now, it's a good movie. It's the first movie to feature Hannibal Lecter, who, by the way, trivia, was played by well-known Scottish actor Brian Cox. That blew my mind when you told me about that. I was like, Brian Cox as yeah. Hannibal Lecter. Wow. And it's very much in the background. You know, they expanded the part when they redid it, Red Dragon, with Anthony Hopkins, because at that point, he'd already won the Oscar for Lecter and Silence of the Lambs. They'd already done the sequel, Hannibal. So they wanted to make it kind of a lineage, a kind of consi- uh, something consistent. So if you watch it through, but the original, very much when you watch it now, it is a product of the mid '80s. It screams mid '80s, and for some people, maybe that's hard to watch. Then they did the sequel, Silence of the Lambs, came out in 1991. But when they made it, they made a very conscious decision to not date the look of the movie. It doesn't look modern if you look at it today. But it doesn't, it's hard to set when it takes place because. Correct. I mean, obviously, you don't have Clarice working on a, st- on a cell phone because they just weren't like they are now. Certainly not on a smartphone. She could be looking up Buffalo Bill with an app. You know, it, they don't have that then. But they, with the wardrobe, the visuals, the setting, all of it, they made it a conscious decision not to date it. So watching Manhunter, it screams mid 80s. I don't want to watch this. It looks old. But Silence of the Lambs looks like it could be set even today-ish. Use of technology is a good point there, Dave, because that's one where you often see datedness or one that can keep up with the times. And and how well does the how much does the technology feature into what that movie is doing? Even with movies today, you know, I, I wonder how they are going to stack up 15, 20 years down the line when there are further advancements in technology because when you look back at some of these movies, especially in the 90s, as the internet was taking off, technology was really starting to develop, they start to take on a dated feel depending on how strongly technology figures in. For instance, you've got mail. That is very dated now with that manner of, of being able to connect with somebody over email. You know, Sorry to, to Tom Hanks and, and to Meg Ryan, but... That that is kind of the case. That's that's very much a movie of the '90s. With that, a movie you enjoy a lot, Sneakers. There's another one where technology of the day features very prominently within that, and you have to keep that in mind as you watch because otherwise, you're watching that going, "This is a really old movie." If you're talking about technological, the, the first time somebody pulls out a giant brick cell phone. 
you know. Oh, yeah. Is, oh, my goodness. But at that time, it was cutting edge. You know, right. there were no smartphones, even not that long ago. But it speaks to the datedness of the movie, though, too. Oh, yeah. One yeah. of the things we've said is that a lot of horror movies just from the day wouldn't work anymore. Why? Well, because in a lot of cases, you're isolated and you're away. How is that going to happen? Everyone's got a cell phone in their pocket. You'd have to come up with a way to cut off. Cell phones. Oh, the towers all blew down? What? There's a big worldwide AT&T virus that none of the cell phones are working or whatever. You'd have to come up with something plausible to discount what everybody has every day. And then, only then, could a, st- a story like that, lost and alone in the woods, you know, happen. Guys, this is a technology-free weekend. Everybody put your phones in this bag. I No, Hoove, get it in that bag. Where's the bag? Oh, I left it. At the, I'm sorry. Guys. You'd have to have a scene like that before any of those movies would work today. So when you're living in today and you're watching those movies from yesterday, why don't they just pick up and call 911? First of all, with what? There is no cell phone in anyone's pocket, and even 911 didn't exist prior to whenever. You mentioned horror, Dave, and I'm curious if the way that horror is depicted today in movies has maybe desensitized some people to the way that horror was depicted decades prior and has made those older movies not stand up quite as well. Because I think it depends on how you look at it and and how you feel when you watch a movie like that. Because here's a good example. When when I was home a couple of months ago, I made a, a psycho-related comment to my mom and and then jokingly pretended to do that sound yeah, with... Um, the really creepy sound that they use with the music in there, um, especially when they have the that initial shock killing scene that happens. That was called the string section. And then, <laughs> yes, good way of looking, good way of describing it. And that freaked her out. She was she was still scared when she thought about that. And I was like, "Hey, mom!" And then I joked to her when I was home just a few weeks ago. I was like, "Hey, mom, let's watch Psycho tonight." And she's like, "No, no." So. There's one approach to it, but then I think for other people, they would look at Psycho and go, this isn't really all that scary, because they're desensitized to it a little bit, even though I still watch it. I watched it the other night, completely dark apartment, watching that one, and it's still a creepy movie to watch back, even though it was literally on the front line of a horror slasher type of movie, even though it was really only dabbling into that a little bit, whereas you've got slasher films today that are just ridiculously in your face with it and and over the top but has a movie like that aged poorly because it's because it was on the front line of that or has it aged well because it started that and it wasn't super in your face and it was still a really well put together movie it kind of depends how you look at it and again if you're able to step into the time of the movie as you watch. I think a lot of that, what you said, is absolutely true. I think you can desensitize to a lot of things. I remember watching some of the Friday the 13th movies when I was a kid, and I was terrified. I mean, I could feel my heart in my throat. It was like that. Now, I could watch those like a bag of salted peanuts. You know, just a snack. Just, you know, (laughs) that's cool. Next, you know, next one. You know, entertain me. That's good. Next one. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Can I still enjoy it? You better believe it. Has Friday the 13th, the first one, aged well? Most of them really kind of haven't. But, you know, Friday the 13th is more than the sum of its parts. You could watch every movie they ever made and still not get all of it. 
you know, because it existed beyond what was just on the screen. It was part of it was watching it when you were forbidden to. My parents didn't let me watch it, but I managed to see all of them. I snuck them. That was part of the thrill. That was part of the experience going over to so-and-so's house because they were going to watch it and I wasn't supposed to, but I snuck over and got to see it and mom and dad didn't know. And that was part of the thrill. It made it more scary because what if they find out? And, you know, Psycho, for an example, shows a flushing toilet for the first time in movie history, by the way. Well, wait, what is, why is that a big deal? Hearing that in 2020 makes no sense. There was a lot of censorship back in the days. You couldn't have married couples sleeping in the same bed. You couldn't see a woman wearing any kind of colored undergarment. But Janet Lee, show, as, a, as a metaphor to show that she's a good person and switched to something dark and, and bad, she's shown tw- two different scenes wearing a bra. And in one of them, it's a white bra because she hadn't done anything wrong yet. And then later, she's wearing a colored undergarment, which at that time was scandalous enough. But it was done to show that, hey, she's wearing black underwear because she's stolen money at this point. Now she's bad. It was a little visual reference, but it was scandalous. She flushes the amount of the money that she'd stolen down the toilet. It was the first time you'd ever heard a toilet flush, let alone seen one. In a movie, nobody went to the bathroom in movies back then because it suggested, oh, like we don't all in normal life. But that's what movies were, and that alone was scandalous. That stuff doesn't hold up nowadays, especially if you weren't around in that era, which includes me. But can I watch Psycho and appreciate it? Yeah. But sometimes that also comes with an appreciation. I remember when I was younger, I didn't appreciate it as much. Because it just didn't speak to me that much. Hockey masks did more for me than a guy dressed as his mom in the shower. But I have come to appreciate it even more so as I've gotten older. I've got another one going back to the visual. Use of 3D. Some have aged gracefully on that. but And some movies today, they, they go into theaters or you can watch them in a 3D sense. And the visuals just, they work a lot better. But... The movies that pivoted intentionally into 3D are the ones that haven't stood up quite as well. Like, for instance, when you watch House of Wax, like going back to the 50s, the original frontline 3D movie, it's weird because there are times in the movie where they intentionally make, they intentionally talk to the audience who are watching about, did you get that? You know, the the 3D moments that, that come up there. And they're trying to do that alongside of having a plot to a movie. I was like, what? This is just weird. Same thing with, like, the Spy Kids movies. Go, getting the Spy Kids 3D. I still remember going in theaters. And when you're a kid, it's like, oh, wow, 3D and stuff. But they they were even talking in the movie of, like, put on your glasses and things like that. And, and I look at th- back on that now, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, the wheels just totally fell off the series here and just because they made 3d a gimmick that was actually a gimmick that they tried to insert into the threads of the movie and i was like no that's not how it should have been made 3d of the of recent times especially in the last decade much much better yeah and they had a resurgence of 3d back in the early mid 80s were and for seeming for some reason a lot of horror movies went that route. Friday the Thirteenth 3D. I mean, it was even in the marketing of it. Jaws 3D, Amityville 3D, and the 3D wasn't used to enhance anything. It was just occasionally somebody might hold a broomstick right at the camera, you know, and that was all it was supposed to be. But then you get to something like Avatar, which was made to be in 3D, and I don't know if he's going to do that for the new ones coming out or what. But it was meant to immerse you, and 3D. 
at that point was making its comeback then, but James Cameron used it as a tool and not as a gimmick. And so as you're going through the jungles of uh, Pandora, the leaves are brushing past the camera, a.k.a. your face. And I remember watching a leaf as the camera is pushing in deeper into the forest. The entire theater audience, almost to a man, tilted to the right so the leaf could brush past them without brushing their face because that's the way the camera made it look. You were pulled into the forest yep. by that. You were pulled into the story, and that is how 3D should be used. And if you're going to do that to add depth to a movie that you didn't film it in 3D, but you can do that post-conversion that some movies will do now, uh, the movie would work just fine without it. But a if it pulls you piece. in, if yep. it brings you in to depth, it works. Sometimes it's just a gimmick. When they did episode one in 3D, you know, they reconverted that. Eh, it didn't work as well, but mm. it was fine. Yeah. But I'll give you another idea about how things can work over time. For some reason, maybe it's Halloween and we're hanging out in the horror territory. The Scream movies, the first one in particular, sometimes is unintentionally funny for the same reason that, I mean, it's supposed to be funny, and tickle your funny bone and scare you at the same time, but it works the same way that Star Wars is unintentionally funny because you've seen Spaceballs. If you've watched the Scary Movie franchise, which is in a lot of ways based on Scream, there are moments in the scary movie that are funny because they're parodying a moment in Scream. Then you watch the actual moment in Scream, and it's funny not because of what's actually happening on the screen, but because you're correlating it with the scene that mirrors that in scary movie. Does that pull some of the teeth out of Scream in a way? If you've seen one and then you see the other one. I've shown Star Wars to people who saw Spaceballs first. And they start laughing at moments that I I, I don't I don't get it until I remember there's <laughs> That's a similar not the scene in Spaceballs. This is supposed to go. Ah, yeah, I get it. Yep. Yes, the big comb in the desert. I get it. You know, we ain't found anything. You know, I get it. So can that a lampooning if you watch it backwards, so to speak? Can that take away from the original? Depends on your perspective. That's an individual thing too, because it's order in which you watch it as well. But here's another thing on a, on a timing sense, and this goes into franchises that have maybe been around for many decades. And I just had this, this kind of epiphany when I was going through the Alien franchise with some friends, and we were watching those here um, several weeks ago. We watched Alien one week, which visually Great movie. has holed up extremely well in some respects. I'll get back to that in a moment. We watched Alien. And then a few weeks later, we watched Prometheus and we watched Alien Covenant. I left watching those going, okay, I know this is a product of the times when these movies were made. But let's think about this. The Nostromo, which is the ship in the original Alien, is a ship that has come later in chronology than Prometheus and Covenant in those two movies. Yet there is almost a completely big there's almost a complete differential between the two the two those ships in the one category and this ship in the other category as far as their technology and the way that they work and the use of a mother of the ship um the, it looks the one looks like it is a late 70s early 80s kind of technology although a freighter that's that's in the case of the Nostromo. The other looks like a spectacular work of modern art and technology that you have with uh, with Covenant and then prior to that Prometheus as well. There's a bit of a disconnect there. So 
it doesn't lend a lot of help to Alien in that regard, which again has phenomenal visuals otherwise, especially with um, with their their main creature that they have in there, and they, they did really well with all of that. But when you stack it up with the rest of the franchise, it does create a little bit of inconsistency that that is noticeable then too. Um, when it comes to the technology of the ships, that was just, that was something that just stuck out. But it ended up being one that kind of stuck in my mind quite a bit. There's a risk when you go back in time with doing a prequel of some sort. Yes, um, we've talked about this with Star Trek, where Star Trek Discovery is supposed to take place ten years before the original series, but it looks way more advanced. Yes, because it's a series that take is it's something that you're filming in the now, so you're using technology of the now, which obviously is going to be advanced from the show that was made in the when the show, the movie, whatever it is. So you can be true to yourself, you can be true to the modern audience, or you can acknowledge and do what you can do. And if you're, well, yeah, we, we can't make it look like that because it's a movie of today, then why would you go back in time in the first place and do it? Correct. Everyone's got cell phones. Yeah, but they didn't in World War II. So why are you giving General Patton a cell phone so he could check up on the Axis troop movements just to you pander to today's audience, but it's not accurate to the time? At some point, you need to make a decision. I don't know why we're going back to Hannibal Lecter here, but when they did the Red Dragon movie, which was the last one they filmed, but it's the first story, so they kind of redid Manhunter and kept the original title of the book. Anthony Hopkins, his voice over the years, as he's grown bigger, this is some. This is a former singer speaking now. Your resonance chamber, which is your chest and your torso and all that, as you get bigger, maybe you just gain weight or whatever the case, that's your resonance chamber. So as he's gotten bigger... His voice has gotten deeper and fuller. So when you listen to his voice in the movie Hannibal compared to any Silence of the Lambs or even movies he had done prior to Hannibal Lecter, listen to him in The Bounty, it's a higher voice like this and not as resonant like this. So he lost weight and he intentionally raised his voice to sound more like he really? did because he's supposed to this movie is wow. supposed to take place just prior to the silence of the lambs right but there's a lot of things that would work against that they worked hard to make it look like it did and that's paying attention to detail so ridley scott gorgeous work that he does that was just something he didn't think about now he made alien as gorgeous as he could and it looks as gorgeous now as it ever did but Prometheus clearly looks way advanced. Yes. What do you want to serve? Do you want to serve the modern art? And I think it looks like a gorgeous movie, but it's not a good movie. I don't like it. That's, I, just, I don't like it. And that's Scott and I challenge. talked about this morning. Not a fan. Backhand that thing. Because it just it it's a gorgeous wreck is what it is. And it doesn't I liked Prometheus. It's but. not it's not without merit. Don't don't think I'm don't think I'm not saying it's not without merit. Don't watch it at any There's point. There's a lot of depth to it, but that's a whole other topic for another time. But it's filled with stupid people. <laughs> you know, these are supposed to be well, the most brilliant people on anywhere, because why would you be selected for this mission if you were a raving idiot? But everybody in this movie is a complete idiot. The stuff they do, complete <laughs> void of logic or scientific merit. Or, they were entranced by their findings. That's what That's what doesn't matter. What it was. You're a scientist. <laughs> you, should, you can't be entrenched by coming up with a cure for a vaccine so you get a big surprise and a big party in the lab and taint everything. You're a scientist. Don't do that. Leave your space helmet on when the space eel comes up to you in what could be a menacing gesture. And turns out it is. Why? Would you allow that kind of access? So it's it's a in, in the plot itself, 
Damon Lindoff has got a lot to answer for, and he's largely responsible for that. But that's a whole other thing. It, it's just the visuals that you're talking about. Are you going to serve that one movie, the one audience, or are you going to serve the whole arc? Well, really quick, going off of what you said about Anthony Hopkins, um, I wanted to make sure while I had this in mind that I got to it. That reminded me of Ewan McGregor trying to match his oh, yeah. mannerisms and even his words and speaking style to Alec McGinnis um, when he was trying to connect Revenge of the Sith to A New Hope, even though those movies are separated chronologically in the series by a couple decades and even further when it comes to when the one was made to when the other was made and it stacks up extremely well and he was aware of how do I connect one era in the Star Wars franchise to another so on that note with Anthony Hopkins that with you and McGregor came to mind immediately. Well, and even hairstyles. There was a lot of late 70s era hairstyles in Revenge of the Sith because A New Hope was made in 77. It was a nice little way to try to seamlessly yeah. merge, visually anyway, the one movie made in 2005, I think, was when Revenge of the yes. Sith came out, to 1977. Correct. It's an attention to detail that serves the arc and not just that one thing. We're getting into the latter stages of discussing how movies have aged. And one of the major topics, again, I said this off the start of the, the episode today, one of the major topics that comes with how a movie has aged comes with the social standpoint by which a movie has aged. Social topics as well. And this is where things get into more of the controversial realm and where things get into a little bit more of, of a, that just feels really awkward watching this today, whether it's topics that are racially insensitive or sexually insensitive or things of of their time that in that movie that in the present day just don't do not add up or stack up the same way anymore and are uncomfortable as a result well one that we've talked about before was with streaming uh gone with the wind which is if you adjust for inflation is the highest grossing movie of all time ever and will probably always be especially when you inflate for inflation, adjust for inflation. But it deals with a lot of racial issues. But it's also set in the Deep South back in the era. It's already a a period movie. Right. That's what it was. It's not condoning it. It's not saying that it's good. I mean, how many Tarantino movies are going to bust out an N-bomb? But we're not condoning those, but we're going to condone this movie because of the way it deals with uh, segregation and slavery. That's what it was. You can't set a World War II movie in Germany and have no swastikas. Obviously, the swastika stands for something, but let's be realistic here. You can't just whitewash everything because it's uncomfortable now. There's reasons why it is. It's not the worst thing in the world to be reminded of why. You're not condoning it. You know, Spielberg has said, I don't ever want to make another movie set with World War II ever because of what happened. The Nazis were a fun foil for Indiana Jones, but he does not want to ever set another Indiana Jones back in that era. He'd rather go against the Russians because when he did uh, uh, Schindler's List, that changed everything for him. Mm -hmm. That was a hard one for him to do. And then there are people who are a part of that as well. And when we were discussing the episode today, Dave, you brought up Kevin Spacey. How does how do all of the allegations and all of the things that have been going on with Kevin Spacey over the last few years, how does that change the way you watch a Kevin Spacey movie as recently as Baby Driver, even going back into the 90s with one of yours and my favorite movies, The Usual Suspects? You know, How does it change the way you watch a movie like that 
given all that's happened with a person who is involved with that movie? It can't not. But does it have to be like it never happened? If you go look back, because Kevin Spacey won an Oscar for that role, playing uh, you know, Kaiser Soze slash Verbal Kent. Spoilers, we did mention at the beginning yes, of the did. show. Yes, it, When you look back at the history of Best, Ask, Best Oscar, uh, Academy Award, Best Actor, is there just going to be a blank spot, 1996, 90, when he won the Oscar for The Usual Suspects? No, and there shouldn't be. You should go back and have all of this, all of it. You should have that show show up on occasion. If you need to have a disclaimer at the front, look, this guy does appear in this movie, and after the movie, this thing happened. It's the same with Naked Gun. Can you watch that funny, funny movie and just kind of forget that O.J. Simpson's in it? The opening scene is him getting all mashed and bashed, so maybe, and he, of course, his character Nordberg has a rough run through that. So maybe it's therapeutic that Nordberg slash O.J. Simpson keeps getting beat up over the course of the movie. It makes it easier. But whether he was acquitted or not, most people kind of believe he did it. You know, so you're watching a murderer be zany. Is that going to ruin the Naked Gun movies? Can you watch those movies with O.J. Simpson in them? It's one of those things. Go back to uh, go back to the Usual Suspects. We're very conscious about uh, about uh, a lot of social issues like LBGTQ. There's a point where you've got Stephen Baldwin's character getting ready toward the end of the movie. His job is to shoot a couple of guys so they don't interfere with the shot. Here's one guy, two guy, three guy, four guy, five guy, and he says the line. Oswald was a hmm. Can we say that now? You know, does this movie get blackballed now? Does Stephen Baldwin get blackballed now? Because he said this movie in a, in a movie 25 years ago. Does Brian Singer get hit for this? You know, because he put it in the movie. You know, at some point, you just have to let things go and say it is what it is. It was what it happened. I don't condone it, but... Does this mean the whole thing has to be erased? Do we have to go back in time and punish those that said, did? How come some people get a pass? How come others don't? Can it just be a product of its time? And that can make things very difficult to watch now. I would think watching a movie like The Help, for people that grew up in an era like that and in a location like that, my dad grew up in Missouri. You know, I don't think they had, I don't know what the term was, house helpers or whatever it was. I don't think they had that. But his sister, to this day, still believes in a lot of that stuff. It can be difficult over Thanksgiving dinner. Those movies, I would think, would be difficult to watch for people that grew up in that area at that time, especially showing that it's it's wrong. Well, it's interesting because on the one hand, you have people who will who will say it's important to keep artistic merit when it comes to what movies try to do, which sometimes get used gets used in a questionable manner but then on the on the other hand then they will they will openly question too you know why is this a part of this movie or or that a part of this movie here's another example that comes to mind it's um mickey rooney's character of mr uniyoshi in breakfast at tiffany's a really really infamous character um in movies and and really sticks out in terms of the racial stereotype they came with that at the time. I was watching the... Because uh, it's a white guy playing an oriental guy. Right. I was watching the um, Bruce Lee documentary, uh, Be Water, uh, here a couple months ago, and they were discussing how Bruce Lee went to go see that movie with his... I I think at the time she, she was his girlfriend and then became his wife. I don't know if they, if they were engaged at the time, but they went to watch that, and Bruce was shocked. I mean, he was just shocked, got up and left the movie, um, and everyone associated with Breakfast at Tiffany's, I think, in one way or another, 
looked back on that later on and said, why did we do that? They they thought that it was going to come off one way, and it got it went completely the opposite way. Blake Edwards, Mickey Rooney, they they all were like, what in the world were we doing here? Well, and just looking back at that. And, and there's another one, again, that just doesn't stand up. How many Peter Sellers movies does he go high as he, disguised as a Chinese person? You know, and a lot of that is Blake Edwards. So when did he learn this rule? Does that mean we can't watch uh, Peter Sellers as uh, I forget his character's name as the select as the great Chinese detective in the movie Murder by Death? Peter Sellers is an Englishman, passing himself as very racially insensitive, according to twenty twenty views as the the name of his character. I can't remember what it was. But he's doing all of this stuff that you don't do. And it it was what it was. And it's a funny movie. Can I watch it? Can that movie still exist or can it must it be scrubbed because of that? Or is it one of those things where look, let's learn from this. Let's watch this and maybe have a if you're watching it with your kids or whatever, maybe have a discussion about it. But that's to say in an era where we're toppling statues and pulling, you know, down a lot of visual references, what is the distinction between celebrating what is wrong and honoring the past. Where is that line? And that line is going to exist in That's different good places question, for, every yeah. pe- for every person and every group of people. Some people find it difficult. Why is there a Confederate flag on South Dakota sheriff uniforms? I don't remember them being part of the Confederacy in the history books. So why is it there? You know, that's a question that must be answered. They're trying to remove that. But understanding why it's on the state flag in some of the southern states and it's slowly being pulled away and now the last flag is finally being redone. It'll be on the ballots in Mississippi and there'll be a new flag without the Confederate emblem. If you were a black person going to the courthouse today and flying right next to the Stars and Stripes as you're walking in for a racial case, is the Confederate flag. What kind of justice do you think you're going to seek? If you're going in, let's say I'm atheist or I'm a different non-Christian religion and I'm going in for a religious case and at the stone, at the steps of the courthouse are the Ten Commandments, which is a Christian thing. What kind of a fair trial do you think I'm going to get? There's a difference when it's official and condoned and it's a statement of the now versus a lesson of the past. And where must that line be drawn? It's different for everybody, but there has to be a standard. It does apply for movies, too, in a big way. And when it comes to this topic... It's a big piece of what this topic discusses as far as how movies age and how they stand against the times that they're in. I agree, but think about this. Go back to 9-11. You had a lot of movies that were filmed in and around New York that as soon as the towers fell, a lot of those were edited out. Whether it was digitally or they just used different shots and they didn't show the towers. Uh, famously, the first Spider-Man movie had a teaser trailer where there's bank. It was just filmed for the trailer. That's all it was. Was a bank robbery, and suddenly they're in a helicopter that gets yanked back, and you cut back, and there's a big spider web in between the twin towers that the helicopter's been caught up in. And that trailer came out in 2001, the summer of 2001. Well, at the end of the summer, the towers fell. That trailer got yanked. Okay, so a lot of movies that were coming out about that time just avoided using the twin towers. Would it be a line crossed if you went back in time and you started digitally removing the Twin Towers from movies that were made in the 1970s? The 1976 version of King Kong, it's not the Empire State Building he climbs, it's the Twin Towers. Should that movie no longer exist because it's difficult to watch if you had a family member that was involved in those attacks? Or is it a product of its time and those buildings did exist. We can't erase them from history. Correct. By doing that, you kind of erase the fact that they were there ever. So what's the point of all the pain if they never existed? You know, it's it's a difficult conversation to have. There is, 
I do think there is a right and a wrong. I think there is a line, and when it's crossed, no, we're going a little far. But I can understand not releasing a movie in October of 2001 set in downtown New York where the center set piece is the Twin Towers, that at that moment we're smoking rubble heap, you know. Yeah, maybe we ought to rethink this. Can we yep. reshoot some scenes and film it somewhere else? That may not be a bad idea, but where do you draw that line? Dave, before we wrap up this topic for today, I had a good question that came to mind as far as a, has this stood the test of time or has it not? I thought it would be a fun one to wrap up on. How well have musicals stood the test of time? I think this is a really good question for this topic. How well have musicals stood the test of time? Because we saw that they can be done sometimes in a modern sense with La La Land, but I think this is a really good one to wrap up on. Where do you think those stack up? I think musicals as a genre are almost so dated because we don't do them anymore. <laughs> and when you do... With the exception of what I had just kind of mentioned, yeah. I think that's the key word, with the exception of, because it is its own exception. They don't make them anymore. You know, but that being said, there was going to be a Spielberg redoing of West Side Story that originally was going to come out this Christmas. I think it already has been moved into next year at some point at a date to be announced. Yes, I believe it has. So who knows? Maybe musicals will make a comeback. And if that happens, would it have the same effect as watching Scary Movie and then Scream? Would musicals like Pollyanna, or that's not a, that's not a musical, but watching the original 60s, 19, 1960s West Side Story, would that be easier to watch? If they start making more musicals today, whether they're remakes or not, whether it's The Sound of Music or whatever it is, do those become less dated if they make more movies like that? Even remaking some of those movies, which technically I think once you do it perfectly, don't touch it. Don't touch it. You know, The Sound of Music is a little different in that it's, you know, you see it on high school Broadway or high school stages for the musical at the school. You'll see a live version of it on NBC where they're, you know, got Carrie Underwood singing the Furline Maria part. So it's always going to have a different life. But to remake the movie, you know, this is the news. Ah, I don't know. You know, it's better to do a follow up of some sort. With some of them, it almost seemed like they got caught up in their own whimsy a little bit too oh, much. Yeah. Where, whereas there were others where there was some theme, there were some good themes that came through those movies that ended up helping. Even though you've got all these people who are dancing and singing and putting on this massive production, uh, the Music Man is one where you know thematically it still stands up pretty well. Mary Poppins as a musical, you know that that still holds up pretty well. Then you, I mean, I know the Sound of Music is beloved and for good reason, but at the same time. There's not a whole lot of depth going on it in it, though, too. So, There's depth in the background, because you've got the Third Reich rising, and you, they're trying to get the captain to come back into his ranks, and they, he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And You do, but they just kind of are bouncing around within this musical setting all throughout it as well, and then they, they do have that going on. I mean, they're even leaving to run under the pretense of a performance that they're Which, doing too as as a vehicle to be able to sing even more yeah as a uh just a bit of trivia you know that is a real based on a real story yes but the, a lot of that is fiction it just didn't happen that right way. Do you know how the von traps actually escaped they went to the train station they got on the train and they went to a place where they could get away from it. that's it they didn't have to hide they did not abbey. climb every mountain they did yeah. not ford every stream that didn't happen so but it made for a good movie and it did that's for a nice ending and that's awesome same thing with argo you know the plane didn't almost not take off they were fine they got on the plane no right. problem but that's not a dramatic movie 
So you need to have a little drama to make it a good movie. If it was completely historical accurate, it's not as exciting. It's very factual. It's more of a documentary, but eh. They can't all be like Mount St. Helens. That's like Jaws where the shark is a volcano. That's dramatic, and that's the way it was. But, you know, to have musicals, I think if they start making those more, I do believe that the older musicals are going to be dated less so than they would be otherwise because it's just like looking at something from the past. You just don't see those anymore. When was the last time you saw a legitimate station wagon? Chicka, 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 going down. They don't make them anymore. They just don't. The Dodge minivan has been so modified nowadays, it doesn't look like the caravan it used to be. You don't see those cars with suicide doors anymore. Not that those were the norm, but you don't see suicide doors, by the way, are the doors that open from the front to the back. So they open opposite to the way your car door does now. Those are called suicide doors. You just don't see them. So when you do, or gull wing doors, that gets your attention. You know, when the DeLorean opens up, those are gull wing doors. Wow. Yeah. Nobody has those. Exactly. So if that became the norm, it would become more the norm. Know what I mean? Obviously, you're still going to have the way movies were made in the 60s, musical or not, you know, just the style of things. Yeah, it's going to look a little different. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we talk about the datedness or lack thereof of movies of the past and even some in the recent past a little bit. Um, Sometimes it's a generational thing too. For instance, I think for my parents and me, we're always going to argue about Roger Moore versus (laughs) Daniel Craig, things like that. They like the camp. Of the seventies Bond movies, me, I do too. Some oh. of it, some of it. Some oh, of it. The, the man with a golden gun is hard to find things to you know make it okay. It, that's not a good example, but you know, like Octopussy was the first one I ever saw. It's got a soft spot for my heart, and it's uh. not as campy. They try to do it straight up. However, that being said, Bond does show up dressed literally as a clown, and Jaws. Jaws was a good character. I like the spy who loved me. That's one of my favorites. I do like the spy who loved me. But a horrible character in Moonraker. But, Same guy, but done so poorly. Right. There's an example of how to and how he, not he to. He just became a caricature, unfortunately. Yeah. But I did like the spy who loved me, yes. There yeah, I, I I enjoy a lot about that movie. But like we said with Bond, same with Roger Moore, it's no different. Bond became a product of its times. It really, really did. Yes. And so when you watch any of those movies, some of them, as further the further back you go, the less good they hold up because they are very much product of their times. And the further away from those times we get, the more foreign, alien they seem to be. Well, I still like the 60s ones because the spy genre was taking off in that time, and Bond was a big part of that. But, but it's very campy. Like it's, it's its own kind of campy. Even though it's done in earnestness, it comes across as campy. <laughs> You know, you just don't do that. You don't treat women like that. You don't speak well, to people yes, like that. especially with those. The way things were made, a lot of the day-for-night shots, the way where clearly the car was driving slowly, but they sped up the film, it's obvious. Cars don't move like that. Right. You know, and people don't walk that fast. It just looks artificial, but that was the way they did it. So Sean Connery, the best Bond of them all, and if you're just getting into Bond, I love the Daniel Craig movies. i got to see this Connery guy. And then you're seeing stuff from the 60s and early 70s. It doesn't quite hold up. Maybe Connery's Bond doesn't hold up to today's audiences like it would have in the past, even though he is arguably the best. Although I do think Daniel Craig gives him a good run for his money. I really do. Yeah, it's, and I'm it's trying those two for me. I'm trying to look at that in context, but it, it just is what it is. And so those of you that are young enough or you, for whatever reason, are automatically turned off by certain things in older movies, black and white, for example, don't let that be, don't be a gatekeeper to your own entertainment. Well, I'm not going to like it because I don't like this. Try it again. 
You know, you might be surprised. It's like trying a food that you don't like. I don't like a lot of things with asparagus, but every so often I'll try asparagus. Maybe today's the day. Nope, not today, but we'll try it again later. I think that's a great line, Dave. Gatekeeper to your own entertainment. You have to kind of decide what that looks like, and you have to decide how you let that impact you. Yeah, (laughs) maybe you will. Maybe that'll be our tagline for this episode. We'll see if James will allow a small budget to make T-shirts to give away. Don't gatekeep (laughs) your own. No, he says no. Okay, okay. It was a good thought, though. Great options are out there, and with everybody looking for more and more entertainment, you can't just look to today because, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of on hold for being made right now. So if if you only take in the brand new, I think a lot of people are out of options. You need to start watching newer shows that are different shows, or you got to start going back into the vault, which is a pretty darn good, rich vault. I don't care if Laverne and Shirley looks clearly like it was set on a staging area, because it was. But it's a great show. There's value to be taken from it. Watch it. It doesn't have to be brand spanking new to mean it's good. That's right. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thank you, as always, for joining us for Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And we will see you at the movies.